Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me for today's installment of the program. We continue our discussion today of the shack. Uh, my pastor, Jim Osmond, and I went to see the shack the other day in the movie theater, and uh, we want to discuss that and hopefully help equip you, because undoubtedly, probably, probably no one listening to this program would go to see the shack for any kind of edification, I would not think. If you're listening to this program for any length of time, you're, you're probably not the shack's target audience. I hope, <laughs> I don't think so, but you have friends, you have family members, you have co-workers who have read the book and have gone to see the movie, so we want to kind of equip you to be able to uh, re- be ready to engage, and uh, as the Bible says, give be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. All right, Jim, well, let's kind of dive into the theology here. Uh, the portrayal of God in the shack, uh, Papa, then Jesus, Papa is a, a female a black, a black woman. Uh, Jesus is a Middle Eastern man, young man, and Sarayu was an Asian woman. Uh, but the portrayal of of the Godhead, the Trinity, in the movie has been described by some of the Shaq's critics as idolatry. So maybe before we get into the Trinitarian issues, what is idolatry? Idolatry is is not what we typically isolate idolatry to mean that is bowing down to some idol carved out of wood or stone or or precious metal that sits on our mantle in our living room idolatry is much broader than that it's not just it's not just worshiping a false god it is idolatry can is also thinking wrongly about the one true god or misrepresenting the one true god or worshiping the one true god in a false way is is a way of of committing the sin of idolatry of course, worshiping false gods is idolatry. Of course, bowing down to idols is physical idols. But um, ultimately, idolatry is much broader in that idolatry is not is God not having the first place in my life. Not loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is a violation of that first commandment. Um, bowing down and worshiping or making anything else preeminent over God is idolatry. Whenever I value something that is not God as if it is God, that's idolatry. But in terms of, of the way in which the shack commits the error of idolatry and promotes a form of idolatry, uh, Young does it, the book does it, the movie does it, in, but by means of portraying God as he is not. So, for instance, if I'm trying to say something that is true about God, I'm trying to describe the Trinity or the person of Jesus, and I describe it wrongly, if I portray God wrongly, I'm doing God a grave injustice. I'm committing high treason against him because I'm speaking error about God. And leading people to think wrongly about God ends up creating a God that does not exist. And then when people bow down and worship and pray to that image or that idea of God as they perceive him, they're committing the sin of idolatry. Because they're actually worshiping and praying to and thinking about God in a way that he is not, in a way that is not in keeping with how he has revealed himself in Scripture and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so their worship then becomes ill-informed at best, 
completely misinformed and heretical and idolatrous at worst, because they're actually worshiping God as they perceive him to be. And if they are perceiving him wrongly, then they are worshiping a false God. The only way we can worship God truly is if we are worshiping him as he is revealed in scripture, in spirit and in truth, not in spirit and however we want to perceive God to be. Right. In fact, in some of our research in this, I, I came across a statement from William Paul Young. He said when he was trying to decide how to uh, portray God in the in the book and the movie, uh, how he wanted God to come across to people, he said when I was trying to formulate my idea of God, I can't. You're not, I cannot make this up. You can't make this up. He says I looked in the mirror. He said I looked in the mirror because <laughs> because he said I know I'm created in God's image. So I looked in the mirror to. That's how he formulated his idea of God by looking in the mirror. You couldn't. You, that's so that irony so thick you can cut it with a knife. Yeah, not not off to the strongest of starts. I, I would say in his uh, in his book. Of course, your listeners should automatically be able to identify the problem with that is that, yes, we are created in the image of God, but we are not photocopies of God. Right. So there are there are ways in which we bear a similarity to God. We bear the image of God. We are image bearers, but we are not photocopies. We're not carbon copies of who God is. And most significantly, we are marred by sin. We are full on and broken. We are, we are broken mirrors that bear the image of God. Right. And so you can see God through us and in us, things about God. There are ways in which we we model that image and display that image. But we are broken vessels where the image of God is marred in us because of what Adam did. Yeah, yeah, right. It's not a pure reflection of who God is. No, no. He shares with us some of his what we call communicable attributes that we have in, in part. He possesses in perfection but we don't possess his incommunicable attributes, and then that gets into a whole other. And what Young has done there is he actually has, he he actually has uh, described God in a way that is very much like him. As yes. we'll as we'll see later on in how he talks about God's abilities, God's love, God's justice, God's righteousness, you know, right. God's power, God's strength, etc. Well, let's start about let's start talking about how God is portrayed in the movie, the the Trinity. Now we know from Scripture that God is a triune God. We refer to the triunity of God or the triune Godhead, that God is not one person, but he is one being who, one God in three persons. God the Father is a person. God the Son is a person. God the Holy Spirit is a person. One being in three persons, in three persons, and each of the three persons is within himself, God, very God, God, fully God. Uh, and we were just talking before we started recording. It's impossible. You cannot, every analogy you try to come up with to try to describe the Trinity breaks down. It's not ice, you know, it's not water, vapor, and liquid. Mm -hmm. It's not a three-leaf clover. It's not an egg, all these. It's not know, a cube with three dimensions, yet one object. cube with three dimensions, yeah. So all of those break down. But, and so... William P. William Paul Young is trying to do, in, in a sense, very real sense, what is undoable. You cannot accurately portray the Trinity. Our finite minds can't even fully comprehend the Trinity, but we believe in it because Scripture teaches it. But uh, describe for us some of the Trinitarian issues uh, that that we see in the in the shack. Well, Young seems Young seems intent on trying to 
trying to affirm something that Trinitarian Christians would affirm, and that is that we have three separate persons who are called God. Um, when Mac walks into the shack and sees Papa, Sarai, Sarai, how do you say it? Sarayu. Sarayu and Jesus all there in that room together. At one point, all three of them say, I am. Right. Uh, all of them together say that individually and, and in unison. And then one of the characters, and it was, it happened too quickly for me to catch which one it was, said, I am that I am. And then Papa says, there we go, quoting scripture again. And, yeah. and so, yeah. you know, all three of these characters, the, the father figure, the Holy Spirit figure, and the Christ figure, all affirm that they are the I am. So that's that's your allusion to Trinitarianism. It's probably the closest the whole movie. The closest God thing, yeah. To. And and it almost as if uh, you know there are a lot of Christians who would hear that and say, oh, he's a rock solid Trinitarian. That's what I needed to hear. Is you know I've been told by my pastor that we ought to defend the deity of Christ and that Jesus is very God of very God and that Jesus is God in human flesh and in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He made all things. All things are created through him and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. That that what they would affirm. This sounds like rock solid orthodoxy to them. Right. Um, but but the minute you begin to try and portray the relationship between the Trinity on screen or in a book, other than simply describing it, if you try to illustrate it or you try to describe how that works out, you're going to slip into some kind of heresy. That's why I, I always tell people there are no analogies for the Trinity. An egg doesn't do it. Space-time doesn't do it. Um, you know, water in three separate stages doesn't do it. When God says in the, in the Old Testament, uh, who is like me? Yeah, to whom will you compare to, Yeah, to whom will you compare me? He he was not challenging us to come up with a clever illustration for his nature. The only answer to that is nothing. There is nothing in time or space. There is nothing in our experience, nothing we have ever sensed or seen that is anything like God in his nature or his fullness. So the only thing we can affirm is that all three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are self-conscious egos. They are aware of themselves, and they are aware of each other. They can have conversations with each other. The Father can speak to the Son. The Son can speak to the Father. The Holy Spirit can speak to both of them. They can. They each have a will. They they each are able to fellowship and, and love one another. Love of the Father for the Son is affirmed in Scripture. The love of the Son for the Father is affirmed in Scripture. Right. So each of these persons interact with one another, and yet they share fully the one being of substance that is God. There is a an, an, uh, Trinitarian error or heresy, kind of known as a tripartism or tripartism, and it is the idea that in, you know Jesus is a third of God, and the Holy Spirit is a third of God, and the Father is a third of God, and you only have all of God when you have all of them together in the same place, and that is an error. That's a heresy. If I have the person of Christ standing here with us in this room, we have all that is God in the person of Christ. He is fully God, and there is no more to the being of God that can that would exist outside of the person of Christ. And the same would be true with the Holy Spirit and with the Father. The Father is fully God, and all that is God, all the being and substance and essence that is God, is possessed by the Father, at the same time possessed by the Son, and at the same time possessed by the Holy Spirit. So they don't share that nature or that being, and they don't draw on it. It doesn't wax and wane. There's at no point where they're more or less part of that being. They are all fully that one God, and yet there are three separate and distinct persons. So one of the errors of the shack is, though he tries to affirm some sort of a Trinitarian confession, one of the errors is the idea that you can, that these three persons all sort of exist separate from one another because they, they can be in separate places. And of course, there's the idea that in the shack, there is the problem that these three persons all have bodies. 
Right. And biblically, only one of them took upon himself human flesh. Yeah. God the Father, well, we know from the Bible, God is God is light, God is love, God is spirit. In John chapter 4, mm -hmm. God is spirit must be worshipped in spirit of truth. So even though the Bible speaks of, in places, various places throughout the scripture, of the eyes of God, uh, the, 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 the strong outstretched arm, uh, God's feet, it, it, but these are what we call... That's what we call anthropomorphic language. It's trying to describe God, portray him in a way that we at some level can relate to as, as humans. But that does not mean that God literally possesses a body. Correct? The Father does not have a body and the Holy Spirit does not have a body. Only the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, has a physical body. And, as, that, and that, not from eternity past. That right. happened in time. Incarnation. Yeah, and, and he still possesses that same physical body in glorified form today right in heaven, now. sitting on the throne at the yeah. Father's right hand. Right, right. Right. So, he, so he's the only one that has a body. And in the, in the show, all three persons are portrayed as having a body. And as if they are three separate and distinct persons... All claiming to be God, so it and it, so then, is it, is it tripartheism where there there you have three parts to this one God, or is Young communicating some sort of a tritheism as if they are three gods? They are all the I am, and they're three separate and distinct I ams. Right. You know, so maybe it's a it, it's kind of almost a quasi polytheism, a quasi modalism. Um, and a quasi-Trinitarianism. The, yeah. there, there really is no way of, of putting his portrayal of the Godhead into any one of those heretical camps. It's, right. it's not Trinitarianism. Right. That's all that we need to know in order to be concerned and to say that it's heretical. It is not a strict Trinitarian approach to God. Right. William Paul Young has been successful in, in the sense that he has apparently created a brand new heresy that uh, up to this point, I don't know anybody has ever really come up with before, because as you said, it's, it's not strict modalism because we do see each of the three members of the Trinity together, got it together. So it's not straight up modalism. Yeah. It's let me define that real quick because, sure, yeah. because, because a modalist, a modalist believes that God is one person who appears in three modes or uh, three appearances. So that God is one person who in the Old Testament came onto the scene and spoke and appeared as the Father. In the New Testament, he is the Son. And now in the New Testament age or the age of the church, he is the Holy Spirit. Today, he's the Holy Spirit. Um, and some modalists would go so far as to say that God is even in, in, that God in the future will come in some other different mode or some other different being. It's almost like a, a stage actor who plays three different roles. You know, he comes onto the stage dressed as one character and plays a certain part and then steps off and has to change clothes. That's, that's your classic modalism or, or what's called Sibelianism. And when in the movie you have the father and the son, you know, dancing together, the, yeah, yeah, the father and the spirit dancing together at one point, you have them talking to one another. So it's not strictly a modalistic, um, view of God, but there, as we're going to talk about with the wounds of Christ, there is a nod toward modalism. Yeah, yeah, there is. It's almost it's Shackianism. Shackianism I hope somebody, yeah. I hope somebody coins that term yeah. and makes it widely known. It's, we, it's Shackian uh, view of God. Jim and I came up with that uh, new term, driving home from the movie theater. It's, there's no really formal heresy that it fits into neatly, and so it's a new heresy we call it Shackianism. It's, a, it's just a dog's breakfast of every anti-Trinitarian <laughs> heresy you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, something else in the, in, their, in the portrayal of the Trinity that is, it's, it's very strongly hinted at in the movie, but it's abundantly clear in the book that there is no hierarchy in the Godhead. 
in fact, here's a quote from the shack, the book. In the book, Papa says, quote, We have no concept, pardon me, we have no concept of final authority among us, only unity. And so in the, in the movie to a degree, but certainly in the book, uh, there's no sense that uh, there's any hierarchical role. Now, we have to be careful here because one of the uh, favorite arguments of the Jehovah's Witnesses, one of their proof texts is John chapter 14, verse 28, in which Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. And they use that and they say, oh, see, Jesus is not God because the Father, God the Father, is greater than he. But we understand the proper context of that. Jesus is talking about a differentiation, not in substance, not in nature, not in essence, but rather in role. Mm -hmm. And so even though each member of the Trinity is God, very God, fully God, there is a hierarchical structure. Talk to us a little bit about that and how the uh, the movie goes against that. Yeah, the, the, the hierarchical structure that exists in the Trinity is affirmed all the way through Scripture. When Jesus speaks of him coming, being sent from heaven to come down, not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. And he continually affirms in the Gospel of John that he came and what he does is pleasing to the Father. He does only what the Father shows him. He he speaks only those words that the Father gives him. He came to do the Father's will, and he came to, to, to this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given to me, I save all of them and raise them up at the last day. So Jesus affirmed, the second person affirmed, that in his earthly ministry, he came here to do what the Father had sent him to do. So the Father planned the, the Father planned this magnificent work of redemption to redeem sinners for his own glory. And the Son came to execute that redemption and to pay the purchase price for that redemption. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son in that the Holy Spirit comes to glorify and illumine Jesus Christ. He doesn't testify of himself. He testifies of the Son. And he testifies of the Son so that in beholding the Son, we might behold the nature the nature and substance, the being of all that is God, and we might glorify the Father who sent the Son. So that that type of, of hierarchical structure doesn't demean the people who are part of that, the persons who are part of that hierarchical structure. It doesn't mean that the Son is less God than the Father. It means that he takes a submissive role to the Father. And that mm-hmm. submission then in 1 Corinthians 11 um, in Ephesians chapter five, that, that type of submission of the father of the son to the father is given to us as a, as a model that we are to follow in submitting to those in authority over us. So a wife submits to her husband. It doesn't mean that the, the wife is a lesser being or right. less valuable than her husband. It just means that she has a different role. Different we role. submit to the elders of our churches because it doesn't mean that the elders are better men. It doesn't mean that they are, um, that they're smarter or more spiritual. There are people in my congregation who are better people than I am, but they submit to the elders of our church because of the structure that God has put in place for their benefit. Right. Um, same thing with governing authorities. We submit to governing authorities. Most certainly not because they are better people than we are, <laughs> nor because they're more valuable or because they are, they are, they're greater only in one respect that they have been given a position of authority. And so, you know, his, his reactionary response against that type of submission in the Trinity is, is indicative of how he views submission overall. There most certainly is submission roles within the Trinity. And, and that is there, and that is there for the glory of God, because God is glorified in that type of submission. Right, right. And this is something that he, as you said, he, he really seems to rebel against. 
Another quote, this is from the book, Jesus in the Shack tells Mac, he says, quote, Papa is as much submitted to me as I am to him, or Sarayu to me, or Papa to her. Submission is not about authority, and it is not about obedience. It is all about relationships of love and respect. In fact, we are submitted to you in the same way. Yeah, end quote. That, that is Jesus Submitting to Mac. to Mac, yep. Uh, imagine that God is submitting to us in the same way. See, this is, this is one of the dangers of not only the book. Now that, that quote there, I don't remember from the movie. Right. It's in the book. Yeah. It is in the book, but, but this is the danger of William P. Young's view of authority. And you see it even in how he approaches the idea of authority in the church, right? Who was the authority structure in the church? The only authority structure in the church that is portrayed in the movie is his drunken, alcoholic, wife-beating, abusive father. That's the authority structure that is portrayed there. In fact, um, I'm trying to think of an authority presented in the church that is, a, is presented in, a, or an authority in the movie that is presented in a positive way. Um, both his father, who was an authority over him, was abusive. His father's father, we find out later on, was abusive. Um, I can't think of, a, I can't think of a, a person in a yeah. position of authority who had a prominent feature in this movie that was presented in a positive way. His view of authority is obviously that, that being submissive to it is a bad thing. Yeah. And so Jesus is just as willing to submit to us as we should to him because it's all about relationships. And yet that's not how scripture defines submission. And it's not how scripture would describe submission in any way or, or commend to us. Yes, we're supposed to love each other and have relationship, but there are authorities in our lives that we are to submit right. to for our own good. In fact, in uh, William Paul Young's, some of the videos I've seen of him describing his own story, telling about himself, his childhood and all, you can tell, I mean, he had, he had issues with authority. Uh, he had people uh, hurt him and abuse him as a child. And it's like he's, the movie is, it's the book and the movie is like his own personal catharsis, <laughs> trying to work out his own, his own issues that he has not come to grips with. Yeah, his group therapy that all of you were paying for. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, we got just a little bit of time left, and something I meant to mention earlier, Jim, undoubtedly, because we have an issue with Papa being portrayed as a black woman, <laughs> you and I are racist, right? In fact, that's what William P. Young says. He says, I, in an interview I saw of him, he said, I wonder if people's problems with that is not so much because... Papa is a woman, but because she's black. So, so undoubtedly we're racist. Racist misogynist. Yes, racist yeah. misogynist. Yeah. yeah. It's not looking good for us. No, that, that is not my issue with him portraying God as a woman. There, We can't escape the fact that God reveals himself in a certain gender. He reveals himself as he. He speaks of himself as he. Right. Jesus, when the second person was incarnated, he didn't come as a woman, didn't come as a Middle Eastern woman, didn't come as an Asian woman, didn't come as a black woman or even a Jewish woman. He came as a Jewish man. Um, the Holy Spirit is also spoken of as he. Jesus affirmed that God is his father. You never hear God described as our mother. You hear God described with certain motherly type attributes of care and concern in the Old Testament, some of the Psalms, stuff right. like that. But those, again, are anthropomorphisms. But when God has revealed his gender and how we are to think of him, it's in the masculine gender. That doesn't make us sexist. That makes us biblicist. Right. That makes us willing to affirm what scripture affirms. And the same, the same liberals who will say, well, you can't, you, you can't put God in a box and just say that he has revealed himself in a masculine gender and that's how we have to think of him. You know, we need to be willing and able to think of God in more feminine terms or whatever terms, uh, that we want to apply to God. These are the same people who think that 
even though I have male genitalia, that I can go ahead and affirm my own identity and gender identity as being a female. So they're willing to allow everybody to define their own gender except God. Yeah. He's the only one who can't define his own gender. Yeah, isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? Oh, boy. Doesn't All make right. you a racist. Doesn't make you a misogynist. No. It just means we're affirming what Scripture and Jesus have revealed. And to affirm otherwise is, is idolatry. Yep. Absolutely. All right. All right, dear friends, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we will continue our discussion, Lord willing, tomorrow and go into the Christology of the movie, how Christ is portrayed. So until then, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that's right, be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.